Hey, good morning to everybody here in the room. Good morning to everybody online as well. Now, if you are a guest with us this morning, my name is Matt. I am one of the pastors here, and it is excellent to have you all with us this morning as we are continuing kind of our summertime series called Digging Out. And what we're really doing here is we're digging in to different tools and principles and ideas that help us dig out of some of the toughest stuff that we face in life. And there's a lot of difficult things that we have to navigate in the course of our daily affairs. And today's topic is no exception. In fact, if anything, I find today's topic is one that it it just finds its home in our life in a regular way. And therefore, all the more, we want some things we can put in the back pocket to figure out how to navigate that. Now, before we get into all of that, uh, I want to remind you of just a couple of different things. One is we do have an app. And in the app, we have notes that you can follow along with. And in this series in particular, those notes are a tool. So my hope is that you take the notes today, but when you come into these different challenges in life, like last week was doubt, you can go back to those notes and be like, oh, that's right. We had some principles here on how to navigate doubt well so we can dig out of the challenges of doubt. That's kind of the heart behind it. So if you'd like to follow along with the notes today, there's tons of blanks in there that you can kind of fill in as we go, and hopefully from that have tools that you can practice. And so that's one thing to know about. And on top of that, just in general, if you've not downloaded our app at this point, you can simply go to whatever your app store is, type in Redemption Church Duval, and there you're going to find past messages. You're going to have the ability for prayer requests. If you ever have to find out what's the current thing going on at the church news-wise, it's all in the app. And so that's just something we want to put out before you as a resource for you to use. That's the first thing I want to remind you of. The second thing is, more than anything I say today, what's important is what the Holy Spirit does in you with what is said. And so as we go into the topic of the day, I'm going to go ahead and just take a moment to kind of bow our heads, our hearts, our knees in a moment of prayer where you can pray silently, get your heart ready for things, and I'll pray with all of us together, and we'll jump right in. But we want to solicit God's Spirit to teach us, to apply this, and to strengthen us for what it is He has us to do. So with all of that kind of stated, I'm going to give us a second here just to quiet ourselves, pray silently, then I'll pray, and we'll jump right into the topic of the day. Jesus, we solicit you as people that want to be more than mere students. We're not here simply to learn data points and information. We want to be apprentices. We want to be practitioners of that, what it is you were teaching to us. We want to live these things because we know that life is better with you. Life is better when we live in the context of what you have designed for us and that we would live by you and through you and we would seek your strength to be strong in us as we do these things. And so today especially, I ask that you will be uh, guiding this process, that you will show us as individuals how to take this, how to live this, how to do this, and from that, how to be free in the things that you've given to us. And so we look to you to be, again, more than just the teacher, but truly to be our mentor and to show us how we do this. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we need you in your good and perfect name. Amen. So today's topic goes by a lot of names. Uh, You might hear it as anxiety or discouragement, stress or de-stress, 
You might hear it as just being overwhelmed or being completely in dread. A lot of things in this world we call phobias because it's attached to this concept. But perhaps the most potent, the most clear, the most felt sense of the idea today comes in a simple four-letter word. The word fear. You thought a different four-letter F word? That's bad. You're a sinner. So, fear. Fear is a powerful force in our lives. And what's amazing about fear, and again, all of its different synonyms, is that when it grabs hold in us, it has this cyclical nature, right? It's like fear can lead to more fear, which spins up more fear, which pushes toward more fear, which just kind of keeps going around and around and around, and we end up in this washing machine of fearful senses and feelings and attitudes and ideas, and sometimes it can be deeply overwhelming. And yet here's what we know, right? When we just look around, uh, we know that fear is a powerful force, not just in what we sense. It's a powerful force in the world, Like, we're rolling into a new political season, right? And I guarantee you that politicians are going to leverage fear. They're going to say, vote for me because you should be scared because of them. And they love to leverage fear. Nations and militaries, they also love to leverage fear. That's the powerful force and deterrent that keeps the other guys at bay. Or the press, The press will grab a hold of fear every chance it has. I mean, just pay attention to headlines, right? You go to your favorite news site, and the headline is going to be something about, you should be afraid today, and here's why. The world is changing, the governments are collapsing, the financial crisis is erupting, whatever it is. And so fear is always before us in every quadrant of our lives, but it's also inside of us in incredibly potent ways. It's this emotion and mindset that robs us of the joy that we seek, attempts to control the people that we love, avoids the challenges that we're meant to actually take on. It sometimes decides it will never risk the dreams that we have. And I find even for the Christian that often fear is what stifles the abundant life that Jesus promised to give. And so, fear is potent. Fear is powerful. And sometimes it's very difficult to deal with. Now, if you look at popular media or whatever else, we're we're given little ideas on how we can deal with our fears. For example, if you watch Talladega Nights, there's great wisdom on how to deal with fear in Talladega Nights, right? Remember, uh, Ricky Bobby is afraid to drive. He's had an accident. He's scared. And so his dad comes along. He's like, son, you need to learn to drive with your fear. And he puts him in a car with a cougar. Because the attitude is, son, if you can drive with a cougar, you can drive with your fear. If you can face a cougar, you can face your fear. I'm like, right, okay, good wisdom there, all right? But that's the wisdom of the Ricky Bobby family. Or you have the wisdom of Yoda. He talks about fear. And he says, here's how you deal with your fear. Let go of all you fear to lose, right? That's what he says. Because he knows fear is the path to the dark side. So maybe that's how we deal with fear. Or you just think about the cacophony of different emotions in the Disney movie Inside Out, right? All the little beings that are living inside the little girl. And she has to work through all of that. And so you just have to cope with those things as they're all pushing the buttons inside of your brain. And then Bing Bong goes off to die, all right? So it's like, there's all sorts of thoughts out there in our world about how to deal with the fears 
that we face as human beings. But what we also know is that facing fear for all of these little quips and kind of funny things we find in movies, um, fear is a bigger deal than that. Fear isn't easy. Let's just be honest about ourselves for a minute. When you're in that space of anxiety, it can be crippling. When you're in that space where everything is on your mind and on your heart, and and from that you wake up at two in the morning and you're having a panic attack and it feels like there's something just sitting on your chest because it's so heavy. That's the reality of the fear that we face. Fears will pounce on us when our kids are struggling with things beyond our ability to control. Or fear comes when our finances are uncertain, our marriages are faltering, our diagnosis is threatening. See, that's where we then have to wrestle with this emotion. It's when the night terrors aren't dissipating, or the PTSD isn't alleviating. It's when your adult kids are beginning to deconstruct and they say, I don't know if I believe what you raised me with. Or when your parents are divorcing where you thought there was security, It's fear when you've been put on the meds to deal with your fear and they're not working or just the future is eroding. All of these things are what plague us and haunt us and they're all the things we battle with. And so the place I want to start, it it seems basic, almost like why bother, but I think it's important in a Christian context to start in this place. If you're taking notes, it's the very first point that I want you to, to own and to feel a sense of relief or release in, and it's a simple idea that, you ready? Number one, fear is, it's real. It's real. Now, I bring this up because, again, there are some pastors and writers and teachers in the Christian tradition that when it comes to fear, they almost make it sound like, if you have anxiety, that's your fault, or that's your sin, that's your problem. The real, true, godly Christian shouldn't have fear because faith should conquer all of our fears. And so there's almost this kind of platitude about fear and faith. And if you have it, uh, that's, again, your brokenness. It's not the reality of things. I, I don't think that is a fair assessment. Not always in everything. Now, here's what I mean by this. I do want to say, for the record, so nobody says, so Matt says there's never a problem with fear. Now, here's what Matt is saying. There are some occasions, for sure, where your fears are unnecessary, They're unregulated. Maybe even we can have fears that are truly ungodly fears. I don't want to remove that, but that's not my topic for the day. My topic for today is not how that can be true a fear sometime, but what I'm trying to say is just because you have fear, don't automatically say, oh, it's because I'm ungodly, I'm uncertain, I'm unregulated, unmitigated, whatever it is, and that's why I have fear. No, it's more complicated than that. And I believe God is sensitive to this reality. He knows the battle of fear. He understands the human heart and the human condition and the realities that we face. And so because of that, God speaks often to the topic. And I believe he often speaks to it in mercy for our good to remind us that life is better with Jesus, including facing our fears. Facing our fears with Jesus is better than facing our fears without Jesus. In fact, if you were to just catalog through the Bible all of the places where fear comes up, you'll find it's a lot. So if you're ever on biblical jeopardy, here's some fun facts for you. The word fear, just the word fear in the Bible, comes up 437 times. So it's a topic, right? We also see 
the things like being afraid comes up 165 times, dread 40 times, anxious 24 times, anguish 38 times, troubled 30 times, panic, right? Like the tip of the spear of fear, panic comes up 17 times. And so I don't think it's an overstatement to say that God loves to state a lot of things on the subject. And I think for us to understand that, it just starts with that idea that fear is real. You really sense it. You really feel it. Maybe not everything that drives your fears is rooted in what is true. We'll get into that later. But nonetheless, your fear is your fear. It's a real deal. Your anxiety is a real deal. Your dread, your sorrow, right? Let's not wash over that, pretend like we're weak if we feel it. No, we, we feel it because it's so real, the second thing I think it's important to understand to kind of set our bearings here is that faith, or that fear rather, is it's understandable. Fear is understandable both outside of any kind of Christian context, but also inside the Christian context. And let me help you understand this based on last week's theme. Last week we talked about doubt and its relationship to faith. And what I talked about there is we call it the Christian faith, not the Christian fact, because when we look at Christianity, it's not these uh, just airtight, matter-of-fact like facts that we're dealing with, but rather there's this sense in which it's invisible truths. Now, truths are different than facts. I don't want to say just because you don't have a fact doesn't mean you don't have a truth, but it's why the Christian faith is called a faith and not a Christian fact, because we're moving in this direction, trusting God, even though there are things that are unseen, as Hebrew says, but that's the essence of faith, believing in and hoping in things that are unseen. But when you do that, when you're moving from doubt to faith, that movement has in the midst of it risk. Because you're not positive, right? It's not just airtight. You're like, I'm trusting, I'm hoping, I'm believing, even though there's unseen elements and I don't understand all the dynamics. Therefore, there has this feel of risk in relationship to faith. But I think embedded into risk is fear. There's just a part of that that's going to be there. It's going to be a tension point always in the journey, because like, okay, I'm going to trust God with my kids. I'm going to trust God with my family. I'm going to trust God with my health. And in that, that's faith, but it's also kind of risky feeling to us. And because it's risky feeling, we're not positive how it's going to go. We're not sure how he's going to answer our prayers. We might struggle with a little bit of fear because it's like, uh, will God or won't God? Or it's that father that comes to Jesus. I, I believe, but help my unbelief. I trust, but I doubt. And, and in that space of movement between these kind of polar ends is then risk and from that a level of uncertainty and fear. This is why I believe for us, the number 365 is important, right? That number of 365, it's more than every day of the year, but more importantly for our topic today is the number of times that the Bible says, do not fear. So when I talk about this being a major theme of the Bible, that's another proof. 365 times, it reminds us, do not fear. And, and I think tone is so important. I think some of us read that, it's like a scolding, right? Hey, Christians, I'm in charge. Don't fear, you dummies. But that's not the tone to me. I, I, I reject that sense of that's the tone. I think the tone more often is like a friend sitting down with you and saying, I'm with you in this. I know it's freaking you out. I know you're stressed. I know you're anxious. I know you're worried, but I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
I'm going to carry some of this burden with you. I'm going to lift you up when you don't expect it. So don't fear as you move forward in life. And then with that, there's attention. You're going to constantly be like, I don't want to fear, but I'm struggling with fear. I don't want to be anxious, but I'm feeling anxious. And, and there's always going to be pressure in the midst of that. But the heart is still the same. Resist the push of dread by resisting the pull of hopelessness. Resist the push of dread by resisting the pull of hopelessness. The reason I think this is important is because the third thing I want you to know, these are just things to have in the back of your mind that you can push forward every once in a while. The third thing is this, ready? The best of us, the best of us have faced fear. Now when I say the best of us, I don't mean Moses or David or Abraham or Peter because honestly, some of those guys, we wouldn't even mark up as the best of us. They had messy lives, which is why I so appreciate reading their stories. No, when I say the best of us, I mean the pinnacle best of us. The only one that is the best of us. The only one that hit this planet, did life, loved well, died, and never sinned. And from that three days later, rose from the dead. I'm talking about Jesus. Did you know that Jesus dealt with fear? He did. I'm not making this up. Last night of his life meets with the disciples they have the last meal he goes away to pray and we pick up the scene it says in Matthew 26 he became anguished and distressed and he told them my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death in Mark 14 it says he became deeply troubled and distressed by the hour that was coming upon him and in Luke 22 it says he prayed more fervently and was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great great drops of blood now I bring this up because um, in this whole cornucopia of different words that capture fear what you see in that final evening is words that are connected to this exact theme Jesus sensed fear now, here's the thing I want to say about this. There are some that reject that. They go, no, 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 that can't be true because Jesus was God. Jesus didn't sin. Fear is sin. So Jesus didn't fear. That's broken logic because it's not even taking the text at face value. And it also assumes that all fear is sin. And that's broken too for a whole set of reasons. Not all fear is sin. Some fear is sin, but not all fear is sin because Jesus didn't sin, but he experienced fear. So that's one thing I want to clear out. The other thing is some people read that and they're troubled by it. They're like, what? Like, why would he be afraid if he knows the whole story? Well, there's times in my life I know the story, but I have fear. See, for me, when I read that account, it brings me comfort. Not that I take comfort in another person's agony. That's not what I mean. I take comfort because I go, wow, Jesus knows what it's like. Right? He can actually sympathize with my weaknesses. You see that in the book of Hebrews. It's like, man, he went through the same things we do. He never sinned in the midst of it, but he knows the pressure, he knows the pain, he knows the grief, and he knows the anxiety, the fear of things. And in this context, listen, he knows the outcome, but he still feels the pressure. He knows the story completely. He knows what it results in. There's no mystery for him going forward. For us, sometimes our fear is in the unknown. There's no unknowns for Jesus here, but he still experiences these emotions. Anguish is this idea of profound and deep grief. That word distress, 
When we read it across the, the Greek literature that it's used in, we find it has this idea of feeling fear or even your courage melting away, right? This lack of courage. It says he was troubled deeply, which means to be struck with terror and even agony is where, you know, again, we get this idea of anxiety, right? Just discouragement, just this great fear. And so take comfort, that your God knows. And not just knows like, I'm God, I know everything, but I came into the world, I sensed what you sense. I know what it's like. And so with this, Jesus knows personally, right? Practically, emotionally. But as he knows, he also shows. And he shows us basically how to move in faith through our fear more than letting our fear move us away from faith. Because that's the risk. The risk is we have so much fear, we begin to take control. We don't trust God, we trust ourselves. We're gonna overcome our fears in our own might versus his might, and that's always the risk. But Jesus, as he does this, he models to us a movement of faith through the fear, trusting God to accomplish goals. And we'll get into that in just a couple of minutes what we need to know for at least this particular moment in our message today is the next thing in your notes. It's not if you have fears, but rather what you do with your fears when you have them. Right? If anybody's like, ah, I'm never afraid of anything, I would like to buy your book. Please write it. Now, we all have anxiety. We all have depression. We all have things that derail us and so the issue isn't if we have that but how do we navigate through that because I find when it comes to our fears we have sort of these different natural tendencies for some of us and maybe all of us we do all of these things but but for some of us what we tend to do is camp on our fears right you know that one you're anxious and so you're thinking about it and rethinking about it and rethinking about it and every time you come around for another pass you pick up more fearful baggage Pretty soon, your poor little fear donkey is just crippled by all the baggage they skip dealing with as you pile it on. We sometimes just circle and circle and circle, and we camp on our fears. Others, they run from their fears, right? And how do we run from our fears? We distract ourselves or medicate ourselves, right? And so even in that, you go, I have this fear. I don't want to deal with this fear. I just want it to go away right now. And so... One bottle in, maybe two bottles in, your fears are going away. Your problems are just starting, but your fears are going away. Right? Or just an edible, just a little cannabis, maybe a little Adderall that I really shouldn't be taking, but I'm taking anyway because, again, it just amps me up and I don't have to deal with my fears. Maybe that's the way you medicate. Or you binge shop. I'm just going to buy things to make me feel better because my fears are too great. Or or just, again, just mindless distraction. I'm going to play a video game for eight hours and hope my fears go away. I don't know what the distractions are, the medications are, whatever. But that's a tendency we have as human beings is to run from our fears. Third way is sometimes we just react with our fears. See, reacting with our fears is when we decide to manipulate or control the people around us that are making us feel fear. You ever had that one? Like your kids are beginning to do things that you're worried about, so what do you do? You clamp down because you're afraid. You try to control your kids because you're afraid of the decisions they're making, the things that you're doing. Again, when they were five, you can control them. When they're 15, good luck. But you feel, no, I got to really just, I got to control it now. And in fear, you're motivated. 
or you use fear to try to manipulate your spouse because you're afraid that the marriage is falling apart or you use fear to try to control things at work because you're afraid of what's happening and so you try to manipulate and you use office politics and you kind of gerrymander the environment you know like all of those things are the risk that we have but instead we need to have a patterned response we need to have a plan in place going into those times so we can navigate those times well because fear is going to hit your inner space and as soon as it does you don't want to just react no you want to respond and so today i'm gonna give you four points and four subpoints under the fourth point because it's all about force today but four points to help us navigate through this process the first point is this when fears arise which they will identify them before they ruin you identify them before they ruin you in other words don't stuff them deny them deflect them don't distract from them don't react to them no identify them it was cool this week I was listening to a pastor never heard him before I was listening to the Carrie Newhoff leadership podcast and they had this guy on I'm like this dude's my man this guy is my tribe I'm digging this guy and he had this great thing about their church it's in Brooklyn and he says you know what when it comes to things like fear and anxiety and stress uh, our bodies are prophets and he goes they're not minor prophets they're major prophets and it's really true Right? Think about it when you have stress or fear or anxiety. Think about how much your body starts to scream at you. Right? You get that in your world, and what happens? You get a headache, you get chest pain, you get sick in the stomach, and eventually you're on the commode of concern, right? Like it just it goes attic to basement, right? Fear runs through your body. And it runs through in all sorts of other ways. You get high blood pressure, right? You get low libido, you get insomnia. I mean, it's incredible to think how much an idea, think about that, an idea hijacks your physical body. That's crazy. But that's the power of fear. And then not just that, there's the emotional power, right? Where, where again, you're thinking about it all the time. Um, you, you, you know, you, you're having all of this different anxiety in the midst of it. It can create things like PTSD. Like, literally, it can give you kind of this, this psychological, like, giant hurdle in your body and brain because of something that created fear. Or if you're fearful, it can create suicidal ideation where you think, you know what? It's just too hard. It's too much. I'm so afraid of this world. Maybe I'll just punch out. That's the power of fear. Depression, anxiety, defeat, Doubt, hurt, anger, bitterness, aggressiveness. All of that is from this simple little topic. And so what we need to do when we sense that is just identify that it's there. Call it out. Don't deny it. Right? Don't stuff it. I was doing that for years. I was stuffing my anxiety and finally I had all these physical problems. Go to the doctor. He's like, hey, do you have some stress in your life? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, take this test. I took the test. He's like, you got a lot of stress in your life. You need to deal with that stress. That's when I started going to the gym. And now I psychotically go to the gym seven days a week because I'm like, I don't want to have that much stress again because it was just kicking my body all around. And so you need to identify it. You need to call it out and you need to begin to address it. In fact, that's what I love about the Psalms. The Psalms are a bunch of people saying, this is how I feel. And what's crazy is sometimes they write things where I'm like, bro, you should not have wrote that down. You would keep that to yourself, right? That's like we think, but they're like, I'm just telling you how I feel. In fact, in Psalm 55, here's a really visceral and physical description of fear. 
Psalm 55, starting in verse four, my heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling, they overwhelm me and I cannot stop shaking. Oh, that I had wings like a dove that I would fly away and rest. How many of you have wished you could just get away? Right? The writer says, I would fly far away to a quiet place in the wilderness. Everything is falling apart. You ever felt that way about your family, about your job, about your marriage, about your health, about your life, about your inner person? Just feels like it's falling apart. Here's what's great about this person. They're writing it down. They're listing out how they feel. Another way to read Psalm 55 is, Dear Diary, life is a mess. But that's good. Because they're confronting themselves with what they're dealing with. And that's what we need to do. So if you have a journal, write it in the journal. If you have a friend, tell a friend. If you have a spouse that you can go to, tell them. If you have a counselor or a therapist or a pastor, it doesn't matter what it is. I think there's something about verbalizing it, putting it on paper or in the air that makes you realize that's the thing I'm fighting with. That's the thing I have to address and I'm letting it know and I'm letting myself know that I'm calling it out. I'm confronting it. I'm naming my fear. See, this is important because, again, the job is not to run from fear. It's not to live with fear. It's not to leverage fear for my purposes of controlling others. No, it is to, to work through it. And so the first thing, yeah, just identify it. The second thing, and this one's really important in this process, second thing, when fears arise, process through them and what they factually can do. Process through your fears and what your fears can actually do. Here's why I say this. Remember the old phrase, your eyes are bigger than your stomach and you heap up your plate with way more food than you need? I think the same is true in this context. Our worries can be bigger than our realities. In fact, sometimes our worries are phenomenally bigger than the realities that we actually face. There was a Roman uh, Stoic and kind of historian named Seneca and he said this, he says, we are more often frightened than hurt. We suffer more from imagination than we do reality. And you know, I, I look at that and I go, man, that's totally true. I'm gonna put myself on the chopping block on this one to share with you kind of my whole thing because I've shared before, I'm a pessimist. I'm really good at pessimism. It's my superpower. It's, it's, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit in a negative way. You know, it's just like, I just am good at pessimism. You know, it's just like, I can see all the negatives in something really fast. And in that, then, sometimes when rough tap times or patches happen, um, I can be in that space that instantly goes into the worst-case scenario, right? And by God's grace, he's like, you know what that man needs? He needs a wife that is sane. So he gives me Ellen. And so let's use, for example, like just even the current building stuff for the church, right? And it's like, okay, we have this new challenge. It's going to be this much. We have this amount of time to deal with it. And so what does my little fear thing do? It blows up, Right? Like, oh, it's all bad. So I was like, okay, Matt, let's get you off the ledge. Let's talk it through. What's the worst that's going to happen? Can't build it. What's then going to happen? Everybody's going to hate me because they didn't get it built. See my problem there already? That's all loaded. Everybody's going to hate me. Well, then what? Well, they're all going to leave, Ellen. Well, then what? Well, the church implodes, Ellen. Well, then what? Well, then I can't make my house payment, Ellen. Well, then what? We lose our house, Ellen. Well, then what? I'm living under a bridge in Seattle with everybody else that's under a bridge in Seattle because we have nothing. That's where all my fears can take me really fast, like seven seconds. It's amazing, right? Takes no time at all. It's like, it's just there, man, like popcorn, right? And then she's like, okay, so that's the worst in your mind that can happen. But from that, 
are we together homeless? Because I'm still with you, right? I'm like, yeah, you're still with me, I think, unless you dump me because you found somebody else that has a better tent than me. I don't, like, you know, like, go through all that, you know, I can just keep going down the hole as far as I want, you know, but she walks me through, like, okay, that's the worst case scenario is the worst so bad. And as we go through that exercise, I realize that, man, I'm really good at finding the worst, but realistically, the worst is not gonna materialize, and even the worst sometimes, I go, it may not be so bad, right? Might be hard, might be challenging. But what this does, it puts things in perspective. It makes you slow down and be like, okay, let me focus on what is real. Not what is perceived, what could be, but what is real. I think this is valuable, not simply for the exercise of working through what what might happen, but even if it's the worst of the worst, how's it really end in the end? I think the other reason this is important to do is because it practices the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your, your mind, right? Love God with all your mind means you look at things as they really are, not as they might be or could be. You look at the facts as you face them today, not what they could turn into tomorrow. Like there's plenty of Bible writers like, why are you worrying about tomorrow, you lug nut? You can't control that, but let's just focus on the facts today. As soon as you do that and you love God with all your mind, you're looking at what is real. And that's the key, looking at what is real. Not possible, but actual. Paul said it this way in Philippians 4. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Not the fables and fictions that our fears create, but just what's true and right before you. Because just as much as it could happen, it could not happen. Did you know for us negative Nellies that both are equally possible? Right? Who knew? Now we need to realize that, hey, both can be true, but right now maybe neither one are true, and we just need to keep riding through. Now I want to be clear, that does not mean that bad things don't happen. Bad things do happen sometimes. Eventually fears can become facts. That's true. But here's the thing. And this is helpful, I think, even in my own thinking. Um, Don't feed your fears before they're facts. I want to say that again. Don't feed your fears before they're facts. Right? Deal with the facts that are before you and let them be. Make decisions uh, in relationship to those. But don't feed all the extra stuff when it's not a fact yet. That is way more healthy. Because a lot of times the worst case doesn't end up being the case. I found that in my own life. I've, I've painted so many worst-case scenarios. I wish I could log the amount of hours I've spent just worrying about stuff that never happened. God's like, yeah, I wish I could get those hours back too, man. I watched you for a long time just spin in circles and spin in circles and process and process and process, and what did it do? It just wore you out. And it wore the people around you out because you were feeding fears that weren't even actually facts. Now with this, you say, okay, Matt, well then I guess you're telling us to actually live in denial about our distress, right? So just don't feed it, live in denial. No, I'm not saying that. In fact, what I'm saying is something that I saw Robert Frost once write. He said this, the best way out is always through. The best way out of the space that you are in is going through whatever you need to face. And so that's number three. When fears arise, Praise or pray through them more than you worry about them. When the fears wash up on the sore, the shore of your psyche, you want to pray through more than you worry about. 
So remember back in Psalm 55, that poor person that had terror and their heart was pounding and and they were scared in every conceivable way and everything was falling apart? Well, let's go back and look at what's going on there. As they own it, as they name it, they pray through it. Starts in verse 1. Listen to my prayer, O God, and do not ignore my cries for help. Please listen and answer me, for I'm overwhelmed by my troubles. He says, I will call on God. When? Morning, noon, night. Right? So if we want to learn the lesson, it's not like I am so freaked out, 30-second prayer, and then seven hours of worry. Right? No, if anything, I'm learning like, oh, I am freaked out, and I have a prayer. And after I'm done with that prayer, and I step away, and I'm starting to feel freaked, I pray again. I start to feel anxious, and I pray again. I start to worry, and I pray again. Right? So instead of spending all of our time, because here's the thing. You know what worry is in your brain? It's you generating a lot of words. You might as well put them to use. Right? Put them to more constructive use. Take all the worry words, turn them into prayer words, and it's way more constructive. It's way more healthy to our soul and our psyche. Now, I get it. It's probably easier to, to fret about the national economy, worrying about our moral decay, all the things that we are told we should be so freaked out about. But more than worrying about it, we should be praying about it. We don't simply see this in the Psalms. We go back to our story about the best of us who struggled with fear, right? Remember, we saw his anguish, but when we look at those passage, we also, passages, we also see his actions. Back to Matthew chapter 26, he tells the fellows, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And then he went a little further, bowed his face to the ground, and he prayed. And then he prayed a second time. And then he prayed a third time. Right? So Jesus, who is God, who is feeling fear in his environment, prays and prays and prays. Heavy duty, hardcore, with angst, earnestness, passion, openness, honesty. He just puts it all out there as he's wrestling through his fears. And what's the result? Luke 22 says, an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. And from that we see in Matthew 26, at the end of the whole scene, it says, he says to the, to the guys, he says, arise, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Here's why I think this is important. Um, he still went to the cross. In other words, he still had to face the things that were generating his fear. But he prays, he's strengthened, and in being strengthened, he's filled with courage and love. And by the way, just for the record, I don't have time to deal with it today, but love to me is the true opposite of fear. Not courage, love is the opposite of fear. And he's motivated with courage and love to go and face those things. He doesn't escape those things, he faces those things. But God gives him what he needs to face his fears and move through it. And to move through it with courage and love. I think Paul gives us a template of how to kind of work this through in our own lives. He says it in Philippians chapter 4. It's one of my big go-tos. Always be full of joy in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. And remember, the Lord is coming soon. Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Now, if we kind of take the themes of this, just kind of break it out into the select themes, we see a series of ideas here. I'm just gonna give them to you rapid. The first thing, what do we do when we feel worry, angst, anxiety, whatever it is? Uh, rejoice. Rejoice. 
And here's the thing I want you to know about rejoicing. This is not an emotion. This is an action here. It's telling you to do a thing, not feel a feeling. But there's something about that. I have found when I have worry and I choose to rejoice inside my worry, it's like just, it's just being like a thug against the worry. It's saying, I'm going to rebel against worry by rejoicing anyway. Even though I'd rather be freaking out, I'm going to rebel. I'm going to, I'm going to rejoice. So you rejoice as rebellion. Next, it says be considerate, which is a really weird additive at first. Like you really? But what it means is to be magnanimous. The opposite of this idea is somebody that starts looking at how life isn't fair. It's the opposite. That's the antonym of this idea here. And so if you start looking at life like, that's not fair, that's not right, I'm being mistreated, everything else, that can generate your fears and your desire for retaliation. But to be magnanimous or considerate is a deep sense of kindness. It doesn't have to be about my rights, my fears, my fairness or sense of it. No, I'm, I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be truly giving as opposed to demanding or taking. And I think this is good because fear can lock us down, but being considerate can open us up. 30 says, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. I love that because we typically worry about everything and don't pray about anything or very few things. Maybe another way we could read this is don't worry about anything by praying about everything. Again, repurpose the words into our prayers. Just because you have things that are on your mind doesn't mean they need to stay there. Did you know that? You can have things on your mind, but you can dump them into Jesus' lap because he says, that's what I want to do. First Peter chapter five, he's like, hey man, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. So we pray. We tell him what we need. Tell him what you need aggressively, passionately, honestly, desperately, repeatedly but also thank him for all the things that he has done. You, you can't just say, I'm gonna ask, but I don't thank. You need to ask and thank. And here's the thing about thanking God for all that he's done. If you've lived on this planet for any length of time, he's done a lot for you, right? Honestly, it's like, I, I've had so many failures and foibles and just frustrations that God has rescued me from. He's like, dude, I've done so much. There's so many things you can be thankful for. And that liberates our soul as well. When we're in a thankful space, it can defeat the fears of our life. And so all of this is so mission critical. And what I love is what comes out of this. He says, do these things, then, verse 7, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Again, it does not mean if you pray this way, he will remove your fears. It says if you pray this way, he will guard your heart and your mind in relationship to your fears. So when we pray, God, I'm worried about my kid and their, their ailment. They have a diagnosis of cancer and I'm freaking out. Or I'm worried about our finances because we lost the job and we get 10 weeks of severance and there's nothing after that that we know of. And you have all of that stuff. It does not mean that God's gonna just change up the equation and fix the problem, but he will give you the peace that you need to navigate the problem as you lean into prayer in this way. But it might be a long journey. Life's a long journey, Right? And if you're going to try to dig out and dig past and dig through fears, it may be an on-again, off-again, success and failure kind of model throughout life. Because it's just a challenge. And so with that, we want to remember our fourth point here. When fears arise, press through them by doing the next right thing. Press through them by doing the next right thing. Because here's what I have found. Uh, when we deal with these things... Um, 
whether it be anxiety, worry, or fear, we can fight the wrong battles or we can flee the right options. We can forget God's way or forego God's best. And it's in those spaces that we're going to be very tempted to come to the fork in the road and I can either do the right thing or the expedient thing. The right thing or the reactive thing. The right thing or the controlling thing. We're going to face those forks multiple times a day or a week even. Like, okay, do I do the right thing or I do the thing I want to do? We want to choose to do the right thing. So, rapid fire. What are the right things? Well, the first and next right thing is focus. Focus, right? On the heels of what Paul said about praying, right? Pray about everything, don't worry about anything, that kind of thing. He goes on to say, fix your thoughts on whatever is true. We looked at that earlier. And not just that, whatever is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable, think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. He says, more than that, keep putting into practice all that you learn and receive from me. Then the God of peace will be with you. Right? So often what we need with our fears is not for the thing that makes us fearful to go away, but we need peace in the midst of that. This is a way to do that. Set your mind on whatever is true. And that leads to peace. It's not just a mindset, though. It's a course of life that you need to set as well, which is why he said put it into practice. That's the next thing. The next right thing is that of faithfulness. As much as you want the right focus, you want true faithfulness. And faithfulness is about obedience. In the Sermon on the Mount, my favorite section probably of the entire Bible period. It's the thing that drives me. If you listen to our podcast especially, I bring that up pretty much every week because I think it's the key to so many things. Jesus talks about worry and fear in the middle of it. He talks all this stuff about, you know, worrying about money and worrying about life and worrying about clothing. And he's like, what are you doing that for? God takes care of everything else. He'll take care of you. He says all this stuff. And then he wraps it up this way. He says, this is why I told you not to worry about everyday life, whether you'll have enough food or drink or clothing to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. He says, but your heavenly father already knows that you need these things, all of these things. He says, instead, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seeking first the kingdom is all that stuff in the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's in the middle of a sermon that's all about how to live a kingdom life. It's like, focus on doing that, right? Don't be distracted by your worries. Instead, be committed to your beliefs, right? Live a faithful life. Do the next right thing. Third, do the next right thing of faith itself. Not just faithfulness, which is living it out, but faith, which is believing and trusting, in other words, believe the things that God has said to you. And there's tons of things that God has said, hey, I'm with you, I'm for you, everything else. But one of my favorites is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. Right? Lean into that, God, I'm going to believe that. I don't feel that, but I'm going to believe that. I'm going to pray to that. I'm going to seek that. I'm going to let that be the North Star that is guiding me in life because I believe that of you. Now, in this process, I have learned it's like the stock market, right? You're going to go up and you're going to go down. You're going to go up and you're going to go down. You're going to have strength and you're going to have courage and doubt and fear and it's just going to do that. But you're ultimately going up over the course of life. It's where you stake your claim is in his promises. And then last, the next th right thing is actually a thing of fear itself. The next right thing is to fear but to fear in a way that is well-placed versus misplaced. 
See, the Bible talks often about fear in the positive when it says, all right, you need to fear God more than you fear everything else. Too often we fear everything else and those things become our gods. They dictate our happiness and our sadness and they dictate our, our decisions and actions and reactions. And, and he's like, man, dethrone that stuff. Dethrone the misplaced fear and instead have well-placed fear. Proverbs says, fear of the Lord leads to life and that brings security and protection from harm. See, I always think about the fear of the Lord and I go, man, I fear disappointing God. I fear grieving God. I fear distance from God. I fear failing God. I fear missing out on the blessing of God. All of those things are are ways that we can understand, man, the right kind of fear keeps me close with him. And when I'm close with him, there's security from him. So I close with a passage that has always been dear to me. I think it's important to us, especially in our very conspiracy-laden and fear-based culture that we live in. Good reminder to all of us from the prophet Isaiah. He says, The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does, not to call everything a conspiracy like they do, and don't live live in dread of what frightens them. He says, Don't fear anything except the Lord of the armies of heaven. If you fear him, you need fear nothing else. Let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, we have many fears. And we need your strength and your grace and your provision and your presence to help us with those fears. We, we need to identify them. We need to work through them. We need to pray to you about them so that we might then navigate through those. We thank you that you provide for us. Now, there may be some here this morning or watching online, and you're like, man, I've got a lot of fear, and I don't have Jesus. Well, Jesus wants to shoulder your fears in life, and if you go, I want to follow Jesus, that's a prayer away for you, where you acknowledge, Jesus, I have gone against you. I've sinned against you. I've let fear rule my life. I let me rule my life. I want you to rule my life. Forgive me my sin. Bring me into new life with you, and journey with me so that I can have a life of faith and freedom, not fear, or one that guides me as I face my fears through faith and freedom. You make that your prayer, your way, he pulls you in, and I would love to know that, right? So you can stop me at the door, you can send something through our Facebook messenger or through our website, just I would love to know. You said, I made that decision today. If you make that decision, fantastic, we want to know. Because that really is the game changer, right? Life with Jesus is better, especially in facing our fears. And Jesus, we thank you that life is better because of you. So we look to you to guide us, to strengthen us, and to love us in that process because we know that love, love is really the thing that gets out fear. Perfect love from you. And so we thank you that you've perfectly loved us in your good name. Amen.